Psalms chapter 30. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Let's read the scriptures tonight, all right? Hey, let's do this. I'll read the odd number of verses. You read the even number of verses just so we can move along, all right? I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. Congregation, O Lord my God. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Congregation, sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his. For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? <laughs> Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Congregation, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. I call your attention to verse 1 and verse 12 tonight. David starts off this psalm in verse 1 by saying, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. The word extol many times could be also synonymous with praising or honoring or lifting up. It literally means to lift up. Verse 12, he concludes, he tells us a little bit about his journey he went through in verses 2 through 11. And it was, a, it was quite a journey he went through. He was down pretty much as bottom as you could be. And then he ends it off in verse 12 by saying, to the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks unto thee forever. I heard the story of a family that went out for lunch, and after they finished their meal, they all felt like they wanted something sweet in their mouth. How many feel like that sometimes after you eat? You just got to have some dessert, amen? And, uh, and so they, they wanted something sweet, they ordered some dessert, and the uh, waitress came out, and they had a little boy there about five or six years of age, and she put the, the first dessert plate she put out was pie and ice cream. She put it out to the little boy, and as soon as the little boy got it, he was just so, he was just so thankful. He just kind of was very exuberant, and he says, thank you, ma'am, that's great, thank you. And she just stopped for a minute before she served everyone else, and she said, well, you know, I love to hear thank you, and to which he just had a bigger smile on his face, and he said, ma'am, if you give me another scoop of ice cream, you'll hear thank you again, amen? And so tonight we're here, we, we just, I think God needs to hear thank you from us again, amen? We, the Lord needs to hear us to say thank you over and over again. And we're going to do that tonight as we have this service. Now, Father, this evening as we look at the subject of uh, giving thanks forever or forever thankful, we pray that our heart and our soul will be stirred with the spirit of thanksgiving, Lord, for all things and everything. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As folks are making their way in tonight, bless this service tonight in a very wonderful way. We look forward to some of the testimonies that will be given and what you'll say to them and that you'll be glorified. We give these things to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's move along. You may be seated right now. The word for thanksgiving has its root in the word grace. 
when we think about Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is the alpha of a heart that is filled with grace, God's grace working in our hearts. There are some people who live all the time with the spirit of thankfulness and giving. And then there are others just because of circumstances in their lives or maybe of a bad family background or maybe just they're having a tough time in their spiritual life. I hate to say it, but sometimes they live with a spirit of entitlement and unsatisfied expectations and many times an ungrateful attitude. And, you know, there says a lot about a person who's got a very thankful spirit about things. Tonight we're looking at the fact that it is God's will for every Christian. It is God's will that in everything we give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Notice some things about Psalms 30 as we get right into the message tonight. Psalms 30 is a psalm of David. Sometimes we skip over it. I encourage you not to. But look at the superscription that precedes verse 1. The superscription preceding verse 1 says, A psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. Now, I'm, I'm going to clarify that for you as we get into the subject tonight. You might want to write in your margin so the next time you read Psalms 30 in your Bible reading, you know the background to the psalm. The background to Psalms 30 is 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. You might want to put that in the margin somewhere. 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21. The dedication that's talking about here is not David's personal resonance, the dedication had in mind the great house of God that would be built one day through his son Solomon. And so David, as he writes this, is talking about events that transpired in 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21. All of those events, everything that transpires there, leads him to verse 12 saying, I will give thanks unto thee forevermore. I want you to see several things about this passage of Scripture this evening. Number one, would you notice with me the glorious vision, the glorious vision. Everything pertaining to this chapter revolves around a vision that David had. Put your finger or turn over to 2 Samuel 24 if you would please. Actually, 1 Chronicles 21. Go to 1 Chronicles 21. And notice verses 24 to 26. The occurrence here, David is on a plot of land which we know as Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is first introduced to us over there in Genesis 22 when God called Abraham to take his only son Isaac and to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Now we're over in 1 Chronicles 21 or 2 Samuel 24. And at this period of time, David has bought this plot of land from a man known either as Ornan or Arona. And Arona showed him this plot of land. David bought it from this man. Notice 1 Chronicles 21 verses 24 to 26 because soon after he bought it, there's a series of events that happen here. Notice what it says in verse 24. And King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. Notice verse 26. And David built their an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. Now some things to keep in mind as we think about this first point, this glorious vision. David did not build a temple. David did not build a temple. David had in his heart to build a temple, but he did not build this temple. And so the writers, when they put the superscription, when they talk about the house of David, the idea they had in mind here was back here in, in 1 Chronicles 21 the house that David, that David wanted to see built. The day, what happened here was David bought this land. 
And he paid an exuberant price for this land. He bought this land. And that land was being dedicated in verse 26 to the day when his son Solomon would build the temple of God there. Back in 2 Samuel 6, God told David that, that, or 2 Samuel 7, that he would not be the one that would build the temple of God. He was told that his son Solomon would build that temple. So David did not have God's permission to build. Instead, it would be built by Solomon. David here in in 1 Chronicles 21 is paving the way for Solomon. He's setting the example. He's paying the price. I just want to throw out there, for those of us who are parents and grandparents and have children growing up, I want to encourage you as 2019 approaches, let's pay the price so the next generation has a temple for God. Amen? Let's pay the price so they have a Baptist faith that they're going to inherit for God. Amen? And so David's paying the price here. And he constructs an altar, notice in verse 26, and there this beautiful altar that he constructs according to the same dimensions that God gave to Moses over there in the book of Exodus. And there he offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And these bird offerings were rep- representations of the dedication of the land, dedication of his life, the dedication of a future temple that God was going to put there. Now, David was making this dedication there, but we have to remember, David was not the one that would build the temple. Something significant as we look at verse 26, God answered him. God received this offering from David joyfully and gladly and lovingly. Notice verse 26. It says, God answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. I believe as David called on the Lord, David was praying like a prophet. David was praying like a prophet. Prophets of God prayed for fire to come down. Elijah was not the only man that prayed for fire to come down, amen? David prayed for that and God honored that. I just want to encourage you tonight, pray like a prophet, amen? Pray like a prophet for fire to come down. The fire would come down if nowhere else upon your soul and set your soul on fire for God. Notice here, David as he's making these offerings here at this altar, these burnt offerings, these peace offerings, and he's calling on the Lord, and the fire from God comes about there. David was getting a glorious vision about things to come. Notice some things I want to tell you about this vision as we get into this passage tonight. Notice he had a vision of a house for God, not a tent for God. He wanted something more than just a tent. He thought of a, 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 just this, this, this expensive, uh, wonderful building, this edifice that would be built for the temple of God, where the sacrifices would be done, the festivals would be had would be done. He thought about the city of Jerusalem. He had a vision of these gateways that would go in different directions. He thought about the water gate, and he thought about the fish gate, and he thought about the horse gate, and he thought about the eastern gate. I mean, David had in mind this architectural design. He had a vision of things that would not happen in his life, but the lifetime to come. He had a vision of a house, not of a tent. He had a vision of a house that would be large. He had a vision of a place where the service of God would be done. And not only the service of God would be done, but the Levites and priests would live in the house of God, and there they would be, they would be housed there, and the people of God would take of the tithes and offerings and take care of the servants of the Lord. He had this vision of servants of God there attending to the temple and attending to the, to the, the, the candles and, and the offerings there that would be done. He had a vision of a storehouse there in that storehouse where, where people would come and the tithes and offerings and the first fruits of their giving would be given inside of that, inside of that place. I mean, David had this vision in his mind of things that God would do. He had this vision of the place being lit up all the time. He had a vision of sacrifices being made. He had a vision of men surrendering their lives into the priesthood. He had a glorious vision of things that could be and things that would be. Listen, vision is more than just saying, well, we could see this. Uh, Vision is saying, not only could we do it, but we will do it. It will get done because God is the one who will execute that there. And so as we look at this here, the very first thing we see in this passage is David has a glorious vision. The superscription says it was at the time that David uh, dedicated the house of 
God. But notice the second thing, if you would, tonight. This gets us really into why David was thankful. We see David had a glorious vision. Would you write this down tonight? David had a grievous valley. David wrote this psalm because he went through a valley. We see David's thanksgiving occurring here because he was going through a valley in his life. For those of you new to the faith or trying to learn the Bible, whenever you read about a valley, a valley is always synonymous with trials and affliction. They're always synonymous with times of difficulties that we have. And we see David going through a valley. We see David in this valley, but he went into this valley because of his vanity. David was in this valley because of his vanity. Why was David writing this? Well, notice in verse 5, David said, His anger endureth but a moment. Now, when we go back to 2 Samuel 24 and 1 Chronicles 21, we read there that God was angry with David for something David did. Out of the pride of his heart, as an older man, David set out to number all of the military that he had. He wanted to find out how large was his military. Now, God did not command him to do that. There is no need for him to do that. In fact, everyone that was employed to take the census that he wanted to have knew that David was desiring to do this out of the pride of his heart. In fact, Joab tried to talk him out of it. Joab came to him and kind of got in his face, probably in a way that he shouldn't have, but he got in David's face and said, David, why do you want to do this, king? He said, the Lord knows the number of his army, but David wanted to find that out. David, out of the pride of his heart and out of his egotism, wanted to find out how large he is. Now, listen to me tonight. We are all like David in that context. We want to know how many we have. We want to know what our size is, and we get more impressed with our size than God is impressed with our size. Just a thought there for you on that. Sometimes we get impressed with our numbers. Now, I remind you tonight, more impressed than we are with our numbers is how impressed is God with our numbers. Is God impressed with the numbers that we have? And David wanted to know how many people he had in his military so that one day he could boast about this to other kings and other people, dignitaries that he would have at his table. And so we notice in 2 Samuel 24, it says in verse 1, it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. In the first Chronicles 21.7, the Lord was sort of pleased, sort of pleased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. David, as he gives this psalm here, he gives this psalm in remembering God got angry with him. God got angry with him because he did this out of the pride of his heart. And so David here, uh, his foolish behavior in numbering the tribe, the, 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 the military here, placed him in a grievous valley. Notice some things that we find between verses 2 through, 12, to 2 through 11 here. We see some things about David going on here. First of all, would you notice David was in the valley of sickness. David was in the valley of sickness. Notice verse, verse 2 here. He says, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou healed me. Now the very fact that David made mention that he had healing speaks us about the fact that David was going through some kind of sickness. Now I want to bring this to your attention tonight. I believe there are three, there are at least three categories of healing that God does in a person's life. Now God doesn't heal all situations, but I believe there are three categories of healing that God works in life. First of all, there are times when we're in need of physical healing, when there's sickness and things going on, and we want physical healing. We're praying for that. Physical healing is needed when there's a grave illness, there's a disease or lingering malady that strips away our health, our strength, and our wellness. Extreme physical exhaustion and depletion can make us physically sick. It is when known medicine and doctors don't have the answers. And, of course, we know many stories like that. But there's a need when we have, when there's a need for physical healing, when we come to God and say, I've got cancer, or God, I've been diagnosed with this illness, or God, I've got this problem here, and we pray for physical healing. Later on, if you've got our prayer page, later on when you look at our prayer page here, you'll notice on the section there, 
We have a section there where it talks about health needs in town and a section of health needs out of town. And all these people who've listed something here, many of them are in this room tonight, they have very real sicknesses and very real illnesses they've asked us to pray for there. So there are times when we need physical healing. There are times when we need emotional healing. And I don't think we should make light of the fact that there are many suffering in today's day and economy who have emotional, who have emotional upheaval in their lives. And emotional healing is needed when there are anxieties and extreme sadness and extreme insecurities and bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and certain mental illnesses and anything else that adversely affects our emotional stability when we cannot focus, when we don't have an appetite, when we have sleepless nights, when we're distracted, when we're sad more than we're happy, when our, when our nights are long and our days are difficult. There are times where people are in need of emotional healing. It is when, it's when you're feeling like emotionally that you're falling apart. There are times we need physical healing. There are times we need emotional healing. Hey, there are times when we need spiritual healing. In fact, we need spiritual healing every day, amen? And spiritual healing is needed because of sin in our life. Sin overcomes us. Sin has us in its vice and in its grip. Spiritual healing is needed when sin has overcome us. Emotional healing, emotional sickness can cross over into spiritual sickness. If you've got an attitude problem, an attitude problem is an emotional sickness that is also spiritual sickness. And if we have an unforgiveness problem, that is a spiritual sickness that is also an emotional sickness there. And so they can cross over one to another. David was in the valley of sickness. He makes mention, verse 2, that God healed him. He was hurting inside. He was very sick by what was going on, and we'll talk about this next. But notice he was the valley of sickness, but David was also in the valley of sorrow. Notice if you would, verse 3, he says, O Lord, thou hast brought me up, brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast, uh, thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. David was at a place where he was very sorrowful. He imagined at that moment that at any moment in time that he was about to die. He says that in verse 3. Notice in verse 5, for his anger endureth but a moment and his favor is life. He says, weeping may endure for night. David had, had nights where he weeped through the night. Uh, notice verse 9. He says, what prophet is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall he declare thy truth? Now David was a little bit of an older man when he wrote this psalm. And when first, Second Samuel 24 happened and First Chronicles 21 happened, David was an older man. But I believe, what was, as I'll share with you in a moment, what was going on at that time, David was very fearful of his, for his life situation. And then notice, if you would, uh, verse 11, he talks about his mourning, and he talked about putting on sackcloth there. Now, what was all of that? Well, David was sorrowing. What was he sorrowing? Well, 2 Samuel 24, 15, and 1 Chronicles 21, 14, he was sorrowing over the fact that because of his sin of pride, God sent a death angel over the camp of Israel, and that death angel resulted in 70,000 of his men dying immediately. They just dropped like flies. I mean, they dropped immediately as the death angel came over them and held that sword over them, and it was very similar in sight to the angel which held the sword over the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve were thrust out of the Garden of Eden. That angel came over them, and the 70,000 men that died instantaneously. David was sorry that 70,000 men died because of his sin. They died because of his pride. They died because he didn't follow good counsel there. And so there were husbands and fathers and sons and friends, all of them unnecessary deaths that happened there. Second, David was sorry from the fear that God would take his life as well. I want you to imagine with me this, this situation. David was praying and he said, I'll take, I want to fall into the Lord's hands because greater the mercies of God and 
and the angel of Cain, and the angels held out his sword, and 70,000 men died. Could you imagine the cries of all these men, and the cries of their wives, and the cries of their children? Can you imagine people dropping like flies, all of these things happening, and David feeling this fear, just like they did in Egypt, when the death angel came over Egypt, and uh, every Egyptian, their firstborn died, and there was a cry, the Bible says there was a cry at midnight, and it brought shivers up people's spines, and there was a chill that went through their bones, and they were fearful. I believe David felt that same way. There was a chill, there was a fear going on, and David felt very real at that moment of time that the judgment of God would touch his life, and that God would also kill him, because he thought, well, if God killed those men, God might kill me too. And it wasn't the fact that David did, was, it wasn't the fact that David, that David thought he wasn't going to heaven. David knew he was saved. He, t- he said earlier in, in 2 Samuel 12 about the baby boy that died. He said, he shall not come to me, but I shall go to him. He knew he was going to heaven. He talked about the fact that in Psalms 23 that he would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He knew about that. But there's something, there's something about death that causes fear in every person here. I imagined with you today, as we think about the city of paradise, as that fire swept through this so quickly, and people were stuck in their cars because cars were gridlocked and couldn't get out. Could you imagine the fear on the, in the minds and the hearts of people? Maybe the elderly who couldn't get out of their homes as their, fire, their homes were consumed with flames and the fire was coming and there was no way out and no way in. Can you imagine the fear that gripped them at the moment of time? Yes, they were, there may have been some saved people in that. And yes, there may be some people that we know went to be with the Lord, but there's something about being in a, in a situation like that. The human side of us comes out and there was fear. And so we read verse three and we read verse five and we read verse 11 and we read verse, we read verse eight and David was filled with fear, the fear of sorrow. Truly he was thinking he was in the valley of the shadow of death. You see tonight, we see a glorious vision and we see a grievous valley, but what you notice, we see a gainful victory. As we work our way through Psalm chapter 30, David is now describing the victory that he'll give thanks for. And in previous to that, as we'll see, he's going to give thanks to God for the valley that God took him through. Notice the gainful victory. God gave him a victory over the sin of pride. We must never forget in Psalm chapter 30, God gave him victory over his sin of pride. And by the way, when God can give us victory over pride, that's a great victory. Amen? When God can work in our life that way. Now, what did, what did God do for David there? Well, no, notice, first of all, David was heard. David spent a lot of time praying. Look at verse 2. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee. Look at verse 8. I cried unto thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. Look at verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Hey, David made many prayer and supplication while this trial was going on, while he was in this valley, while they were trying to figure out how are we going to bury all these 70,000 men that died. David, in fact, in verse 11, put sackcloth on and sackcloth on, and he spent sleepless nights in prayer. He poured out his heart to God. Hey, when we read this psalm tonight, David got victory because God heard him. One of the greatest things that happens when you pray is when God hears you, when God answers your prayer. And the answer's on the way, and God meets with you. David was heard, but notice in verse 2, David was healed. We must not discount the fact that God gave David healing. Notice what he said in verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. Having gone through the valley of cancer three times with my wife and other incidences like that, I'm especially sensitive to every time I read in the Bible about healing and God's healing physically and spiritually and emotionally. The psalmist talked about in Psalms 103 about being healed there, and he's talking about, about from our sins and spiritual illnesses there. But I want you to notice some things David got healed from as we read through this psalm. Would you notice some things? You might want to write this down. I think, I think first of all, David, David came from the place of bitterness to the place of sweetness. His bitterness 
bitterness was made sweet. Notice in verse 5, his sorrow was turned into joy. The Bible says, for his anger endureth for a moment. I think as he thought about the anger of God and God being sore displeased with him, I think as verse 5 was written, David thought about this one thing, his anger endureth but a moment. Now when he went through the trial, he wasn't sure how long that anger of God would last. But when it was over, he said, it only endureth but a moment. He was thinking about the faithfulness of God. And he said, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Aren't you glad about that? He spent entire evenings crying and calling out to God, but his joy, his weeping was turned into joy by the Lord. His weeping was turned to joy. Hey, his sin was turned into forgiveness. God forgave him of his sin. Notice something else in verse 3. His misfortune was met with mercy. He said in verse 3, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. And I took special note about that. That is, he said, that was kept me alive. Aren't you glad God's kept you alive? Aren't you glad that you got another day to serve God? Aren't you glad today that you got another Thanksgiving to honor the Lord? Don't you have, aren't you glad you got another day to kiss your wife or kiss your husband and kiss your children and say, thank you for being my wife and thank you for being my husband and thank you for being my child and thank you for this church. I, I'm just saying tonight, aren't you glad you just got another day to serve God here in this earth? And then notice his rejection was met with favor. He said in verse 5 and verse 7, In his favor is life. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. David was at a place in life where he thought he was rejected. He thought God didn't have any favor with him, but God showed him favor again. God made his face to shine upon David. David was heard. David was healed. But notice the victory God. David was helped. And we must never forget the fact that when God works in our life, God comes alongside of us to help us through our, fly, our trial and help us through our valley and help us through the furnace and help us through the fire. David was helped. Notice verse 10. Hear, O Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Would you say that with me tonight? Lord, be thou my helper. Say it again with me tonight. Lord, be thou my helper. Don't you want God's help tonight? Or are you somebody that doesn't need God? I, I fear for us professionally that sometimes we think we don't need God. And we go through the motions as if we need him, but, really we, but, our, but our actions really say we don't. And I remind you, David was a professional. He was the richest man in the kingdom. He had more vision than anybody in the kingdom. He was bigger than anybody in the kingdom. He was the decision maker. The buck stopped with him, Amen. Lord, be thou my helper. How was he helped? Look at verse 1. First of all, we see David standing. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over him. Would you notice a couple things about verse 1? First of all, David's flat on his back. Thou hast lifted me up. God gave him a helping hand and got him up to stand. But notice something more significant than that. He said, I will extol thee. Circle the word extol. The word extol literally means this. I will lift thee up. Do you get what David's saying in verse 1? I will lift you up because you lifted me up. Amen? I will, I will lift you up. I will thank you because you've lifted me up. Hey, David was standing. Listen, he was helped. He was standing. Hey, listen, there are going to be times in our lives we're going to be knocked on our back. We're going to be turned upside down. We're going to be humiliated. Because God has to humiliate us at times. God's got to put us in a place so that when we're on our back, we can look up and say, Lord, I need your help. And God helps us to stand up once again there. Lord, we see, we see David, the Lord helping David to stand. But notice verse 6, we see David steadfast. 
He said, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Now, that's a great thought. He said, in my prosperity is God blesses me. I'm not going to let wealth get to my head. As I, get, as I have prosperity, I'm not going to let riches control me. As I gain influence, I'm not going to try to buy favor from people. He said, in my prosperity, I shall never move. Why do he say that? Because when you get to 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles 21, out of the pride of his heart, he numbered the people. He wanted to say, he wanted to show up to God and say, God, look how great I am. Look how big I am. I said this earlier. Listen, God is not impressed with our numbers. God is impressed when we give him the glory. When he gets the honor and David is standing and David is steadfast, he says, I shall not be moved in my prosperity. Let me tell you tonight, you might have had a great year and your stock portfolio may have gone through the roof and your real estate's doing well and your, your 401k is overloaded, stuff like that. But I want to tell you tonight, you need to say like David, in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Amen. Not going to move me. David is standing, David is steadfast, but notice verse 7, David is stronger. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Where was he standing? Mount Moriah. What started off at the base of that mountain, David wanted to number his men, and when the number came back, he smote his conscience. He says, man, I messed up. After going through that grievous valley, he's the gainful victory. We've seen Psalms 30. He's thanking God that he'd been helped. David was heard. David was healed. David was helped. Would you notice something else? Notice David had hope. Weeping may endure for night, but joy cometh in the morning. Hey, I imagine David there, he was crying and he was weeping because of all those 70,000 men that died. And he looked across the landscape, bodies strewn over the landscape. Those are men that he trained. Those are men who stood side by side with him. Those are men that put their lives on the line for the army of the Lord. Those are men that would have died for David. Those are men, he knew their wives, he knew their children. He knew those men, they were husbands and fathers and they were sons and whatever there. And he looked at them and David wept all night. He says, their death is because of me. I've occasioned the death of the righteous. David's looking at that, but God started to work on his heart, and he started to humble himself before God. He started to realize that God was helping him. He knew that God had hurt him. God was healing him. God was helping him, and now God was giving him hope, because he said, as the morning came, as the sun was starting to rise up, weeping and dirt for the night, but God gave him joy in that morning. God gave him a breakthrough, and God took the burden off his heart, and God gave him joy. Let me tell you tonight, whatever trial you go through, whatever difficulty you have, listen, you're going to have weeping through the night, but thank God joy always comes in the morning. Always joy comes in the morning. There's always you can look forward to the fact God's going to raise that situation back up. There will be joy in the morning. Then listen, God will break the clouds away, and God will give beauty for ashes there for your life and mine. Receive hope. But you notice one last thing tonight. David had a glorious vision. Because there on that mountain, Mount Moriah, he could see one day that temple is going to be here. But because of his sinful pride, David went through a grievous valley. And through that grievous valley, <clears throat> David was the beneficiary of a gainful victory. As we close now, would you notice verses 11 and 12? This is the key point when we're done. 
This is a key point. This is the most important part. I had to give you all that to help you understand this. David teaches us godly values. And the most important of these values tonight is the value of thanksgiving. The value of thanksgiving. David said in verse 11, Thou hast turned from me my mourning into dancing. Notice this, thou hast put off my sackcloth. That's kind of interesting. He didn't take it off. God took it off. And God girded him with gladness. I mean, you know what he's saying there? You know how heavy that burden was he was carrying in his heart? 70,000 people died. God took that sackcloth off and gave him gladness. Hey, you thank God when God takes that burden off your heart and gives you joy in the morning. Amen. And he's an old man now. So when he says to the end, he knew he didn't have a lot more days left because he only lived to 70 years of age. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee. Now that should be your, thaw, your, thaw, your, your theme in mind, that my glory will sing praise to thee. When, it, when I get praise, back to Jesus. When somebody says something good to me, back to Jesus. When somebody says something about me, back to Jesus. To the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thee thanks unto thee forever. Now write this down, because if you miss this part, you miss the most important part of the message. David tells us as we close tonight how to be forever thankful. He's going to teach us the importance and the elements that are, go, that are involved with godly thanksgiving, godly values. Write this down. Number one, we must be forthright in our thanksgiving. Notice verse 12, <coughs> to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. There's two thoughts I want to give you there uh, as we, we think about that. Actually, three thoughts. I said it earlier. The first one is this, that, that whatever glory we have, we give it back to God. We deflect it back to the Lord. The second thing I want you to notice here, he says, to the end, my glory may sing praise to thee. Hey, listen, congregational singing, individual singing is a reflection of a joyful heart. I hope you never get tired of singing the hymns. I hope you never get tired of singing in church. I hope you never get tired, tired of uh, just singing out from your heart. And when you come to church, sing out your best and sing out your all and sing like you're exuberant and thankful for everything God's done. He said, to the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee. But notice something else here. David says, that to the end, that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. David was talking about the fact he was outspoken in his thankfulness. He was saying, I'm not going to be silent. Listen, there's too much false humility in our Christian circles that's been going on for years where we just sit back there and say, well, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure to say it. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not, making fun or say anything light about anybody who's shy by personality. We've got a lot of shy people. Our church is made up by a, a lot of introverted and shy people who, who don't want to get up and say anything publicly. I understand that. But I want you to see something in verse 12. He's saying here of a heart that's truly thankful for everything God has done. That heart stands up and says, I'm not going to be silent. You can count on me, Lord, to say something about you. And you can count on me, Lord, to thank you. I'm thankful in those early days when I was a Christian, I became a Christian, I was scared like a lot of Christians about getting up and saying anything. And I'm just thankful 
with some older Christians who came alongside me and just encouraged me and said, hey, listen, you ought to give thanks to the Lord because it's a good thing to give thanks to God. And I remember the very first time, I don't know if I spoke in tongues, I don't know what I said, but I know one thing, I, I spoke it out of a thankful heart, amen? And God was working through that situation there. And I'm saying today that don't, don't be a silent, don't be silent when it comes to thanking God for his goodness in your life. Stand up and stand up for Jesus and say something good about what the Lord has done, done in your life. Don't be silent this Thanksgiving. Be vocal and forthright about being thankful. So number one, he teaches us to be forthright in our thanksgiving. But notice verse 1, he teaches us to be faithful in our thanksgiving. You know the first thing David did after his trial was over? He thanked God. First thing he did, he said, thank God. First thing your trial comes, thank the Lord. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And you fall into diverse temptations. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and has not made my foes to rejoice over me. You know what that foe was? He was looking over here, this angel with that sword. He's wondering about the Philistines on the, over, on the other side there by the coastline there. He's wondering, I wonder if God's going to send them. I wonder if there's any lingering Amorites out there that are going to come after me. Hey, listen, David learned to be, teaches us how to be faithful in our thanksgiving. When David was in his valley, he was in a place where most of us would say, I don't like the looks of it. I'm reminded of the story of a little boy who was asked to pray for dinner. It's kind of fun to let, let little kids pray for something because some, they enlighten us by their theology, amen? And the little boy was about to pray for dinner, and he took a long look at this one dish that was on the table, and he kind of looked at it this way, and he looked at it that way. He couldn't figure out what it was, and he prayed a prayer like this. He said, Lord, I don't like the looks of it, but I'll thank you for it and eat it anyway, amen? And I think a lot of us are like that. Sometimes we don't like the looks of what we're going to go through or what we came out of, but we need to thank God anyway. We need to thank God anyway. He said, I'll lift thee up, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up. Being thankful is not saying I'm thankful for my, I'm thankful for you, Lord. I'm thankful for you. So D David teaches us to be forthright in our thanksgiving. David teaches us to be faithful in thanksgiving. What you notice as we close tonight, David teaches us to be forever in our thanksgiving. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, can you, can you feel the, the term of endearment there? Endearment he has to God. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Now I'll tell you what I think was going on in David's mind as we close. I think David was thinking about those later years of his life, the accumulation of his riches, the vastness of his influence, his great reputation, the great army he had. He had, he had everything going for him. And he thought at that moment in time, I need to be thankful for the rest of my life because all of this is the gift of God. It's nothing I did. God gave me everything I have. God's trusting me with that and wants me to use it for his glory. One Thanksgiving season, a family was seated around their table. And of course, the, the biggest thing on the table was the annual Thanksgiving turkey. From the oldest to the youngest, everyone was giving thanks for, their, for, this, for the dinner and so forth. And they came to the five-year-old. And the five-year-old looked and he, he said, well, you know what, I just, you know, I, would you give me a minute? And he started off by, by just being thankful that for the turkey and saying that even though he hadn't tasted, he knew that it would be good. And then he had this, this idea. He says, you know, I, I'm not just thankful for the turkey. He said, I, I'm thankful for the fact that mom cooked the turkey, and dad went out to buy the turkey, and dad carved the, is going to carve the turkey in a minute. And then he went beyond that, and he started, started talking about, well, you know what? I, I'm thankful for a lot of other things. I'm thankful for the grocery store that, that 
that brought the turkey, and I'm thankful for the farm that raised the turkey, and I'm thankful for the farmhand who fed the turkey. And he went, just went through all these things he could think about. He was thinking about everything had to do with this turkey, and he was just thanking everybody that was in the process. He was thanking the farmer, he was thanking the wholesalers, he's thanking the people that fed it, the people that got, got, that got it to the marketplace and all of that, and, the, and that, that got him there at that place. And finally, as he kept going like that, he finally stopped after about maybe five minutes of just saying all these things about the turkey. Then he asked this question everybody, did I leave anybody out? And his little two-year-old brother said, yeah, you left God out. You left God out. And I think we need to be careful that this Thanksgiving that we don't leave God out. We can go through the motions, but don't leave God out. Are you thankful tonight? Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad tonight, like David, that was kept me alive? And he's the one that could have said, I, I'm, I'm ready to die. And he did say that later in another psalm. He was talking about God received the glory. But here in this psalm, he just felt like there was more to do for God. And he says, Lord, thank you for keeping me alive. Hope you have a thankful spirit tonight. Don't be like the nine lepers. Here Jesus did something great for them. Only one came back and thanked the Lord for what he did. I'm amazed in our circles how many people just don't even say thank you. Have a thankful heart and spirit. We have a lot to thank God for in Heritage Baptist Church. Our buildings, our chairs. We have refreshments. And by the way, tonight after church, we have refreshments. We invite you to stay for that. We have an orchestra, a choir. We've been proofing through the, the, the CDs, and we're ready to, we're right on target to give, give the church, a, you know, have available the CD that you, you can purchase. I mean, just a lot of things we have. We, we just, we have our equipment and things. But if we didn't have any of those things, if this was the first day we were starting church, we can just be thankful it's just us and God. Just us and God. He's given us his word. He's given us freedom in this country. We've got a space of grace right now still to serve him and honor him. And I'll pray tonight as we go into the invitation time that you just have a heart of thankfulness and thanking God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity if you need to come to the altar just to thank God for some of you do that. We're going to sing a quick hymn. Pastor AJ is going to lead us in singing. Thank you, Lord. And then we're going to have some testimonies I want you to hear tonight. Now, Father, tonight as we have this invitation, please help our hearts to be overflowing with your goodness and grace. We, we're so thankful in Psalms 30 we see the, uh, another, another glimpse of David's life, David's vision, David's valley, David's victory, but David's values. And the highest of the values we need tonight is that, Lord, we would just be thankful, forthright in our thankfulness, faithful in our thankfulness, but forever in our thankfulness. The Lord would just make a point. We're going to always be thankful forever and forever for God's goodness to us. Father, I pray you work in our hearts. If we kind of have a spirit of spitefulness or ungratefulness, forgive us tonight. Help us, Lord, if we're not being thankful that we acknowledge we're out of the will of God. It's time to get back in the will of God. And to say like the psalm, it's, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, to give honor unto his name. Father, bless the service and this portion as we give the invitation. We pray for this now.